0: Can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter fourteen. Matthew chapter fourteen. Still off. Now. (laughs) Matthew chapter fourteen. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter fourteen. Preached last week. He described these people as all these people are flocking to Jesus as if they know that they need Jesus, but they don't know why they're flocking to Christ. They know they need Jesus, but they don't know why and we're going to see that at the end of chapter 14 again today. These people just flock into Christ like they need Christ, but they don't know why. And then a beautiful thing is going to happen in chapter fifteen. In chapter fifteen, Jesus is going to use this situation where the Pharisees think they they think they know how to how someone can be considered clean, and he's going to use that to teach why we need Christ, why we really need Christ. It's a sweet thing that we get to gather together around around god's word and meditate in it together it's a sweet sweet thing don't take it for granted this passage we're about to read it before i read it to you um you can really break it up into three sections so just so you kind of see this clearly first section we're going to take it in is uh these blind men ask jesus a question spiritually blind men ask jesus a question and we're going to take that in chapter 14 verse 34 all the way to chapter 15, verse 2, into the next chapter. So they ask Jesus a question, and the second section is Jesus gives a public response. They ask a public question, he gives a public response. In chapter 15, verse 2, or verse 3 through 11. Verse 3 through 11. And in third section... You see a private response. Jesus gives a private response just to his disciples as they sort of slip away into a home and have a conversation about that whole scenario. And that's in chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. So let's read this whole section, starting at chapter 14, verse 34. And then we'll dig in. 14, 34. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Then, Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind gods. and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for allowing us this sweet privilege to meditate on it together, to consider what you say to us through your word. God, help us to understand. God, help us to gain the plain sense of this passage. Lord, I pray that you would bless us. We, we confess, God, that unless you help us, Lord, we can't understand. Even the plainest of things, Lord, will go right over our heads. And Lord, we ask you to help us to to feel the affections we ought to feel. Lord, we confess that we can understand things. We can get certain things right doctrinally. And yet our affections be so off. So please, God, help us with that. Help us to feel the affections you want us to feel coming out of this text, Lord. And God, I pray that you would make us doers of your word. Make us imitators of you, Lord Jesus, and doers of your word. Help us to live these things out. Every place where to to our life, Lord, I pray that you would make us faithful and humble and submissive servants, Lord. Ready to obey your word. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I said we're going to take it into three sections here. First section. The blind men ask Jesus a question. This is in chapter 14, verse 34, through chapter 15, verse 2. Now, what do I mean by blind men? Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes, that's the blind people I'm talking about, spiritually blind men. They came to Jesus from Jerusalem. So, here's these men that have traveled all this long distance... To come observe this man whose fame has been spreading. They're coming to investigate. What's this man saying? What's this man doing? What is this man teaching? And so they show up from Jerusalem. These uh, sort of religious hotshots show up from Jerusalem to investigate or observe Jesus. Now they're blind, not physically, but spiritually. And I want, to, I want you to think about that for just a minute. As they've come from Jerusalem and they, they have investigated They've observed Jesus. What have they seen? What have they seen about Christ? And I don't know how much time they've been there, but you just think about the things that Jesus is doing in his earthly ministry to show his glory, to reveal who he is. I mean, we just read about him multiplying this uh, little bit of bread and little bit of fish. He multiplies it to feed thousands as the creator shepherd. We just read about him in chapter 14, walking on water. I mean, he's revealing himself as glorious. What do the Pharisees and scribes see when they come to observe him? Now, I want you to notice this summary statement. So chapter 14, chapter 14, verse 34 through 36, really is sort of a, uh, a transition summary statement of this is what Jesus has been doing. This is the kind of things that these Pharisees and scribes coming from Jerusalem would have seen. They would have seen glorious things revealed. I mean, look at this for a minute. And when they crossed over, so Jesus has just walked on water and stopped a storm. And when they crossed over and they land in this other place, verse 35 says, And when the men of that place recognized him, Remember, his fame is spreading everywhere. People are recognizing him. They sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick. Now, Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 7 fills in the gap Some He's literally going, and every place he goes, people are going everywhere saying, He's over there, he's over there. Everybody, come on, come on, come on, bring all the sick. He'd show up in a town and all the sick would be gathered up in the marketplaces, just hoping they can touch the fringe of his garment so that they might be healed. This is powerful stuff going on. Verse 36, and they implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. They had heard about what he did with that other lady. Remember her? Who busted away through the crowd and laid hold of the fringe of his garment and she was healed. They heard about that and they're saying, oh Jesus, just let these people touch the fringe of your garment and said, as many as touched it were made well. Now we're not going to spend a ton of time here, but I want you to understand, what do you see here? You see the fame of Jesus spreading more and more and more. You see the compassion of Jesus as he heals the sick and cares for the poor and needy. You see the power of Jesus on display as people just touch the fringe of his garment. Just the edges of his clothing, they just touch it and they're healed in an instant. This is powerful stuff being revealed about Christ. So here's here's Jesus. I want you to think about this. This is why I say these men are blind. Here's Jesus revealing all this stuff about his glory. All this stuff about his majesty, and they're observing it. They look at it. They see Jesus revealing his glory. And then when they get a moment to make a public comment, what do they say? And they ask a stupid question. Why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? Did you see that in 15, 1 and 2? Now people say there's no such thing as stupid questions, that ain't true. That's a stupid question. That is a dumb question. You just saw the glory of Christ. You're noticing these things and you're asking this little nitpicky question about them not washing their hands before they eat. They're so blind. If you look down at chapter 15, verse 14, uh, 15, verse 14, Jesus actually says this. He calls them blind gods trying to lead the blind. They're blind to the glory of Christ. Now I think this should stand to us as a, as a really good reminder that true Christianity, brothers and sisters, true Christianity is not about just merely external religion. You, know, you put on this, you put on that, you do that ritual. It's not even about things that, that are actually obedience to God, like meeting with a local church and showing up to the church meeting or, or uh, reading your Bible every day. It's not just about this external stuff. But true Christianity, true salvation is about eyes open to see. It's about blindness being taken away. And now the one that you were bored with, you see the glory of Christ. This is a reminder to us of that. These people had seen the glory of Christ. And yet, and yet look how blind they are. Just blind gods asking questions like, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? True Christianity is, is, or true salvation is eyes being open to the glory of who Jesus is. Everybody in this room who is a Christian, everybody in the room who has been saved, there's some moment where Jesus, you might have known facts about him, you might have even known facts, true facts about the gospel, but but it meant nothing to you. And then all of a sudden, the scales are ripped off and your eyes are open and, and now you're no longer blind to see the beauty and glory and majesty of Jesus Christ. He's everything to you. And this stands as a reminder of that. Now, these blind leaders of the blind, they try to corner Jesus with a question. And they try to corner him with a question in public. Um, we know this is a public question. If you go down to verse uh, 10, you see that as Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, at some point he turns to the people and he says something to the people that are listening. So the Pharisees and scribes ask him a public question. Now, their goal was to ruin his reputation in front of everybody. Their goal was to want to show him up and and show him as incompetent by pointing out the guilt of his own disciples. Now, what's the question that they ask? Look at it right here. Chapter 15, verse 2. They ask this question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Why do they break the tradition of the elders? Now the tradition of the elders this would have been what what many people refer to as oral tradition handed down or the oral law eventually it would be written down into something called the Mishnah okay but you have these oral th- they, they understood these um these tradition of the elders were like it's like a fence that, that was meant to fence in the law so we don't want to obey the law I mean we don't want to disobey God's law so we'll put a, a man-made fence around it you know to keep people from even getting close to doing that so so these this is the this is what what he's at. What they're asking Jesus about? Why don't your disciples keep or obey the tradition of the elders? Now, I want you to notice they're not asking a question about obedience to God's word, but they're asking about adherence to human tradition. So, not obedience to God's word, but adherence to human tradition. Now, you need to feel warned about that. Any person, any man that you run across that is that is. Uh, speaking out and calling people and and holding people to adherence to man-made standards, adherence to human tradition, that you cannot root in God's word, you ought to feel warned about that. They're like these scribes, like these these Pharisees here. Now they ask the question, why don't your disciples hold to the tradition of the elders? Then they give an explanation of what they mean. And look at the explanation in verse 2. For they do not wash their hands when they eat. They're eating. You look at them. They're eating with unwashed hands. Now, this is not about hygiene. This is actually one of those oral traditions. This is one of those ceremonies. It's actually this, uh, the, the literal rendering over, when it talks about it in Mark, it says it over Mark, is, is this sort of uh, washing with a fist sort of thing. So it's some sort of thing they do before they eat with a little bit of water and a certain ceremony they do. It's like ceremonial cleansing before they eat. So why don't, why don't they're asking, why don't they do this? They're holding out this man-made standard, As the standard to hold over Jesus' disciples and asking, why don't your disciples do this? Now, here's the major problem. You could read the whole Bible. You could go back and read every verse in this book, and you could not find one thing from the living God that said that those disciples or Jesus or any of us have to do with those Pharisees are asking about. No verse in the Bible. So they're not dealing with God's words. Why don't they obey God's words? They're dealing with why don't they obey these traditions of men that we obey. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. When people try to do this to us, when people try to lay arbitrary, human, man-made standards on our back, how should that affect us? I'm not talking about somebody taking up God's word and showing you something in God's word and holding that standard out to you. I'm talking about arbitrary, man-made, they might seem religious, might seem good, but can't put your finger on a Bible verse. When they try to lay that stuff on you, how, how should you respond to that? How should that, make you, how should that make you feel? There's a verse over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, where that's exactly what's happening to Paul the Apostle. They're laying this man-made arbitrary standard on his back. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 3, he says, He says, it matters very little to me to be judged by you or by any human court. And he goes on to say, it is the Lord who judges me. So like, like water off a duck's back, right? Like, like you try to lay your arbitrary standard on me, it doesn't bother me one bit. It doesn't bother me one bit. It's very little thing for me to be judged by you or any human court. It's the Lord who judges me. And we know his judgments through his word. So that's when somebody lays an arbitrary standard on your back. But I want you to think about this. How should you respond when somebody tries to lay this arbitrary, not from God's word, human standard on the backs of other Christians that you love? How should you respond when people try to lay these standards on the back of other Christians? that you love and Jesus gives us something to imitate here because that's exactly what happens they come to Jesus and they don't say Jesus why don't you keep the traditions of the elders they say Jesus why don't your disciples why don't your disciples keep the tradition of the elders they were laying extra biblical standards on their backs human standards They were laying a judgment on Jesus' disciples, but couldn't put their finger on chapter and verse. And what is Jesus' response going to be? And we're going to find out as we keep reading, he hates that stuff. He despises it. And he rises up like a fierce lion and attacks it. He can't stand it when this happens. And I think a takeaway there is that we ought to be like him. We should be exhorted by this. We need to be people who have scripture knowledge, deep, deep scripture knowledge in our minds, in our hearts. We know the word of God so that we notice when this kind of thing is happening. When these fake standards are getting put on people that you love. It's, you ought to be able to notice it because you love God's word. And man, just like Christ, you ought to hate it when these man-made standards are being put on others and rise up like a fierce lion and attack. It's is exactly what we see Christ do. And we'll see that in this next section. So Jesus' public response, remember, they're publicly questioning him. And so his public response can be found in verses 3 through 11. In verse 3 through 9, he's speaking directly to the Pharisees and scribes. And in verse 10 and 11, he's going to turn and sort of teach the people that that are looking on, the people that are listening on. Okay? Now, what happens here? In this public response in verse 3 through 11, Jesus does not immediately answer their question. Why don't your disciples keep the tradition of the elders? They're eating with unwashed hands. Well, he doesn't, immediately, he doesn't immediately answer that question. But the first thing he does is he presents a question to them. And then the second thing he does is he lays a charge on them. And then the third thing he does is answer their question in verse 10 and 11. So he asked them a question, number one. Number two, he lays a charge on them. And then number three, he finally answers their question. So let's understand. Look at verse three. Understand the question that he asked them. And he answered them. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Man, he flipped that around, didn't he? They said, why don't your disciples keep their traditions? He says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of these traditions? Why are you breaking God gives commandments? Why are you adhering to the words of men and not the words of God? And the words of men are actually making you disobey the words of God. Why are you doing that? You, hear the, you feel the question? Now he goes on to give them, a, give them an example of how they're doing that in verse 4 through 6. So let's just kind of glance at this example. How are they they disobeying God's word by adhering to the traditions of men? How are they doing that? Well, look at verse 4. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. So Jesus quotes two scriptures from Exodus. Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. He quotes those two scriptures. He says, that's God's word. But you say, so here's the tradition that makes them disobey the command to honor father and mother. Here's the tradition. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, here's what they would say. Doesn't this sound spiritual? What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You see what they're doing? Doesn't that sound so spiritual? Mom, dad, all my money is given to God. Now here's this command over here in God's word that says, honor your father and your mother. And part of that word honor has to do with supporting them as they get older and un- unable to support themselves. Honor your father and mother. And so, and so, what, and so what do they do? They said, well, you know, I'm, look how spiritual I am. All my money is given to God. And Jesus says, you got this little tradition you're doing, but you're disobeying God's command. Why do you dis- That's the question. Why do you disobey God's command for the sake of your tradition? Now, after he gives them this example, he lays a charge on them. And it's a heavy charge, and we see it in verses 7 through 9. Look at verse 7. You hypocrites, he says. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Now that's the charge. First he calls them hypocrites. You're a bunch of pretenders. You're fake you got a show of religion on the outside, but on the inside you're full of darkness. You're an actor. You ought to be in a theater. You're just a hypocrite. He just lays that charge on them of their hypocrisy. And then he uses the scripture. Jesus calls them hypocrites and then grabs the scripture, which is the right thing to do. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for rebuking, which is what he's doing right here. He grabs a scripture from Isaiah and he applies it to them. And listen just, listen, just think about this verse in Isaiah. How would you like this to be said about you? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They got to show it's hypocrisy. They say the right things. They seem to say the right things, but man, they're heartless. Their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me. They do something they call worship, but it's vanity. It's heartless vanity. It's heartless hypocrisy. Teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. They care more about the commandments of men than they do mine. The commandments of God. Now, I want to mention a few. Jesus is going to answer the question next in verse 10 and 11. But before we move away from this charge, I want to just mention a few takeaways from this charge. Brothers and sisters, a takeaway number one is we need to feel warned by this. We need to feel very, very warned by this. Think about that, this verse in verse 7. Uh, it says, For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. That's at the end of verse 6. For the sake, think about that. For the sake of your tradition, You have made void. You have nullified the word of God because of your adherence to these traditions. We need to feel warned by that. We need to feel very, very warned by that. There needs to be a a danger, uh, a, a feeling of danger that goes up in our heart when we hear, man. These people may void the word of God. They disobey. They set aside God's word for the sake of their tradition. And we ought to feel warned by that. And I want to ask you this, and you need to really think about this. Are you a text-driven person or a tradition-driven person? Is the text of scripture what drives what you believe and what you do? Do you root your actions? And your, and your beliefs, do you root it all in the Word of God? Are you a text-driven person, or are you a tradition-driven person? Maybe you do this, that, this thing, that thing, this is the right thing, this is the wrong thing. But where do you get that from? Is it rooted in the text, or is it rooted in family tradition? Is it rooted in the text, or is it rooted in church tradition? Is it rooted in the text of scripture or is it just the wisdom, you know, human wisdom, just, you know, common sense of this world? Are you a text driven person? I want to encourage you to cultivate that, that your whole life, everything you do, everything you believe, cultivate this is literally just a response to this book. It's just a response. Your whole life, just a response to God said this, therefore I did this. God said this, therefore I believe this. I want us to be text driven. Driven people. We need to feel this warning. You make void the word of God by your traditions. And this can be even good things at times, right? I mean, everybody here probably knows somebody that talks more about catechisms. And and man, I love catechisms. But they talk more about catechisms and confessions and everything else than they do about the actual words of God. We need to be a text Driven people. Christians are supposed to be people of the book. Now, if you will not grow in your knowledge of God's word and living your life as a response to this book, then you're in danger. You're in danger. You're in the kind of danger that the Pharisees and scribes are in when they hear this rebuke. You hypocrites! You hypocrite! You honor me with your lips, but your heart's so far away from me. You're in danger of that, and I want to encourage you to flee from it. Now, also, also from this, from Jesus's, um, from his charge that he lays on the Pharisees and scribes. Also, I, I want you to I want you to not miss the boldness of Jesus here. I don't want you to miss the boldness of Jesus in this passage. These men came from Jerusalem. I mean, these were the religious big dogs, right? Everybody else is nervous. I mean, a little bit later, we're going to read it where the disciples, after everything's said and done, the disciples are going to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, did you know you offended them? Everybody else is worried about offending these men. These are the religious big dogs. And I just want you to understand the boldness of Christ to rise up like a lion, defend his disciples, uphold the word of God, lay the charge of hypocrites. This is a bold man. He doesn't care what they think. He doesn't care what they think. He's not a velvet mouth preacher, as you've often heard me say. He sees them laying arbitrary standards. On his disciples, he sees them as the blind, leading other blind ones into the, into the ditches. And he tells them exactly what he thinks. He's not afraid to say the hard thing. He's a bold man. Christ Jesus is a bold man. And may we be like him. There's a verse um, I memorized years ago out of Job, uh, Job 29, verse 17. And what, what happens is, is Job is describing these things that are good characteristics like... Uh, he calls the widow's heart to sing for joy. Isn't that tender? He caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. And that's so tender and good and beautiful. But in the same breath, he says, And I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. And that's what we see Christ doing here as a bold man. He's breaking the fangs of the wicked and plucking the victim from his teeth. Now, after all this happened, so Jesus Ask them a question, lays a charge on them, and then finally he answers their question in verse 10 and 11. Remember, their question is, why? why? Why don't your disciples keep the traditions of the elders? They're eating with unwashed hands. They're eating with defiled hands, right? Now, Jesus finally answers the question in verse 10 and 11. Look at it. And he called the people to him, and he said, so you imagine... He's been interacting with the Pharisees. Now, he said, everybody listen up. He's going to, he's not even talking directly to them anymore. He's talking to everybody that's around. He called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand. And I'm telling you this too. Listen, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Now, the focus here is on um, what comes in from outside versus what comes out from inside. It's not what comes in from outside that defiles a person. What defiles a person is that which is in them that comes out. That which goes in the mouth is not what defiles somebody. Imagine that as an answer. Why are they eating with unwashed hands? It's not that which comes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's the defilement comes from within and makes its way out. Now, this understanding this is very, very, very important. Human defilement is not an outside-in problem. Human defilement, human uncleanness, is an inside-out problem. Problem is very important to grasp this. Are you defiled? Are you unclean outside of Christ? Of course you are. Is this world defiled? You look around and you see this world. Is there something wrong? You know that there is. You know that it's defiled and unclean all over this world. Well, what is the source? What's the source of the defilement of this world? What is the source of your defilement, your uncleanness? What's the source? And the source, according to Jesus, in verse 11, comes from inside you. It it doesn't come from outside of you. It comes from inside the human. inside, Inside your person. That's where the defilement comes from. Now, we'll get more into that in just a minute. Now, as you get to verse 12, verse 12 through 20, now you've got Jesus' private response, okay? So what happens, if you look at verse 12... Then the disciples came and said to him. Now, so now the attention is just Jesus and his disciples. You go read the account over in Mark 7. It's really clear. They walk away from the crowds. They go into a house. And now it's just him and his disciples. So here's sort of a private conversation over all that stuff that just went down in public. Okay? And what we see in verse 12, this, uh, in this verse 12 through 20, in this private conversation, is the disciples asked Jesus two questions. They ask him two questions. Now, this first question they ask, it, it, it really is, look at it in verse 12 here. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Now, that really is another dumb question. Okay? Jesus had to fill a lot of these. Living in this world, he fielded lots of dumb questions. Now, here's why I say that it's dumb. I want you to think about this. Here we have Jesus laying out beautiful, sound doctrine about the true source of human defilement comes from inside of a man. Here we see Jesus boldly, publicly rebuking these these, uh, high-rolling Pharisees, right? He's boldly standing up to them when other people won't do it. He's confronting their hypocrisy. Here we see Jesus actually defending the disciples that are about to ask him this dumb question. He's actually defending them. And then what's the first thing that the disciples say? Uh, do you know that the, those Pharisees and scribes were offended? Did you know they were offended? <laughs> and that's dumb, first off, because of course he knows. This man just, they just saw him walk on water. Feed thousands from a loaf and a little fish. And, and, and do you know that they're offended? Of course he knows that. And second is dumb because who cares? Who cares if they're offended? And you don't get the picture here that Jesus really gives a rip if they're offended. But I, here's why I want to highlight this. This is such a human tendency, is it not? Haven't you felt this in yourself before? To be overly worried about, uh uh-oh, who am I offending? Is this person offended? Is that person offended? Haven't you struggled with that before? And hasn't it caused you to, to restrain your lips when you ought to be speaking the truth? It's such a human tendency. Jesus, didn't you know? Did you know, Jesus, that they were offended when you said this? Brothers and sisters, if, if we're going to be faithful to God and faithful to preach the truth, we must strive to grow and get over this, over being overly concerned about people being offended. Because if you speak the truth and live a godly life, people will be offended. This said Jesus offended them. Did Jesus sin? Do we attribute sin to Jesus? And this is a big thing to highlight. There's a lot of emotional blackmail going on in our culture. That because I feel like you offended me, you must have done something wrong. That's nonsense. And it's nonsense from this verse. Jesus offended them. Now, how does Jesus respond? So they ask that question. Did you know that you offended them? And Jesus responds in verse 13 and verse 14. And it's interesting, he actually doubles down, he doubles down he double downs on his rebuke of the Pharisees. In other words, he doesn't ease up a bit. Now here he is in private, don't you know you offended them? And he just doubles down with the rebuke. If you look at it in verse 13 and 14, he calls them plants that have not been planted by God. He says, every plant that has not been planted by my father will be uprooted. Now that's a reference back to the parable of the weeds. You had that wheat that was actually planted by the Son of Man, and you had that weed that was planted by the enemy. So he's calling them those weeds planted by the enemy, those men that are not planted by the Father. And he says right here, they will be rooted up. Now, what a motivation, right, for us. To live your life not by human traditions, not by this world, but by the written word of God. The prophet Isaiah said, All flesh is grass. All oh, the glory of man is like the flower of the grass. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. What an encouragement there! These men will be just rooted up plants, not planted by his father. He also calls them blind gods. In his response right there, in verse 14, blind gods, people are falling into pits because of you, into ditches because of you, because of these Pharisees. Now, this would have been very offensive to scribes and Pharisees, right? Because they viewed themselves as experts of the law. They were gods to the people of God. He says you're blind gods leading the blind into a ditch. And then in verse 14, look at it right there. He says... He says, let them alone or leave them alone. Forsake them. Brothers and sisters, there's a time for that. And you've got to have that category to say, leave them alone. There's other places in the scripture. Romans 16, verse 17, it says, avoid them to a certain kind of person. Titus chapter 3, verse 10, it says about another kind of person. Have nothing more to do with him. Have nothing more to do with him. Leave him alone. Let him be. Forsake him. Now, you got to have this category in the Christian life. These words are not coming from mean people, these words are coming from Christ himself and what I just read a moment ago from the Apostle Paul. Now, after Jesus doubles down on his rebuke and he essentially tells. His disciples, Hey, quit worrying about the Pharisees being offended. Quit worrying about that. Peter then asked another question, and this question is going to bring us right back to the original topic that, that, that this whole passage has brought up. So look at this question in verse 15. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. Now it's interesting that he calls it a parable. He's referring back to, to verse 11. When Jesus publicly stood up and he and he said, it's not that which goes into the mouth that defiles a man. It's that which comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. And, and, and he calls it a parable. just just, you know, pithy statement that's teaching us out there. Can you explain that to us? Jesus, will you? This is the second second request he gives here. Can you please explain that to us? Now, the question, if you remember uh what we've dealt with in this whole passage, chapter 15, verse 1 through all the way, all the way to the end, verse 20, we've been dealing with a topic of cleansing or, or, or defilement. You're defiled or you're clean. You're unclean or you're clean, right? That's what we've been dealing with. That, that's what they're asking. Why are they eating with unwashed hands? They're ceremonially unclean, dealing with uncleanness or cleanness throughout this passage Now, Jesus gives the answer in verse 11. Peter asks for an explanation in verse 15. And then Jesus' immediate response is in verse 16. And he's, he's shocked. It's almost like you can almost feel the holy frustration that they don't get this yet. Look at it in verse 16. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Are you still not getting this? So he expresses this shock and then verse 17 through ni- 17 through 20, these last four verses here, what he's going to do is he's going to graciously expound on verse 11. So verse 11, he made the public, he made it known to the public. everybody's out there. You're not defiled by what goes in, you're defiled by what comes out. And then now verse 17 through 20, he's going to graciously get on one knee. Before for these ones that just still don't get it, he's going to expound the truth here. So let's look at it. Verse 17. Let's just go slow and think about what he says. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Nobody needs an explanation, right? Please don't make me explain that. Don't you understand? Food goes, some food goes into the mouth, into the stomach, and it's expelled. He says, Don't you understand that? Don't you get that? Verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Now we're getting that language back to that verse he quoted in Isaiah You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. It's, it's, What comes out of the mouth? What what about what comes from your heart? Not about what goes in your mouth, but what's coming from your heart. This defiles a person. Now man, it gets really clear in verse 19. This is the heart of it all. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness slander ask yourself that where does all that stuff come from because next verse says these are what defile a person what defiles a person man listen oh this is just an example of sins this it's got murder there and sexual morality and slander it's even got thoughts evil thoughts did you know that and some people have this idea that what happens on the inside is not sin, but when you act on it, then it's sin. That's not true. There are evil thoughts. Jesus said it's not just the act of adultery, but if you lust after someone in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Where does all this stuff come from? These evil thoughts, this wickedness, this slander, this, all this, where does it come from? He said, look at it, verse 19, out of the heart. That stuff comes out of the human heart. What's the source of human defilement? The human heart. He says it's your own heart. Verse 20. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Now, this has been the topic. Like I said, throughout this passage, the topic has been on human defilement. What defiles a person? What makes a person unclean? How can someone be cleansed? The Pharisees understood it as this external religion. Why aren't they doing this ceremony? Why aren't they washing their hands before they eat? This little religious ceremony. And they understood this external religion as having a cleansing effect. But they didn't understand the very source of human defilement. What's the source? What makes someone unclean? Now, this topic is a topic that's been presented throughout the entire scriptures. Stuff like this How can a man be clean? How can a man be pure? And you can't answer that question. Brothers and sisters, how can a man be pure? How can a man be clean? You can't answer that question if you don't know what is the source of their uncleanness. You can't know how they can be made pure if you don't know what's the source. Of their defilement. Now I want you to notice how zealous Jesus is over this topic. He's so zealous. That when it comes up with the Pharisees. He publicly rebukes them. In a serious way. And then he turns to all the people. And he lays down that teaching about human defilement. This topic is. He's very zealous about this. And then when his own disciples. They reveal that they don't understand what he's teaching. He rebukes them too. Jesus, why are you so zealous about this topic of human defilement? Why are you so about the source of human defilement? Why are you so zealous about that? Listen to me. Because eternity hangs in the balance over your understanding of this topic. Because if you don't know what the source of your uncleanness is, you will not understand the remedy, you won't know the cure. Now we all know humans are defiled. We all know that something's wrong with us. We all know something's wrong in this world. But if you misdiagnose the source of this human defilement, you'll never get the true, the true cure. Now, I want you to think about this. If you believe that the source, the very bottom, the very source of the human problem is a lack of external religion, What will you present as the cure? External religion, right? You'll be like these scribes and Pharisees. If you believe the source of the human problem is a lack of understanding, people are just ignorant, they just don't understand, then you'll think that the solution is just give them the info. They just need the information. They just need education. That's what they need. You'll think that's the answer. If you believe the source of the human problem is the environment that people people grow up in, that their background has affected this thing that's wrong with them, if that's the only thing you understand, then that's all you ever try to fix. But if you believe the source of the human problem is deeper and more personal than all of that, then it's this. Every human being is born with a sinful heart that hates God and lays aside his commands. That's the root of the problem. Every human being born with a wicked heart, an evil heart that hates God and disobeys his command. The kind of heart that produces things like what we read in verse 19. Evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality. That's the source of the problem is that wicked human heart. And if you believe that, if you believe rightly as Jesus teaches, then you'll be one step closer to the solution. The real solution. J.C. Raul, he said this in his book called Holiness. It's the first chapter. It's entitled Sin. The, the entire book is worth that one chapter. You should grab it. He says, if a man does not realize the dangerous nature of his soul's disease, you cannot wonder if he's content with false or imperfect remedies. This is why Jesus is so zealous about this. Eternity hangs in the balance. If a man doesn't understand the depths of his soul's disease, the source of human defilement, then he'll, be, he'll just be content with superficial and fake remedies. These Pharisees are self-proclaimed physicians that are guilty of malpractice. But Jesus is the real soul doctor. He gives us the right diagnosis right here. He's the source of all human defilement is the human heart. The source of all human defilement is the human heart. Humans don't need a devil. He, he's real. He exists. But they don't even need a devil. They don't need temptation from this world. All by ourselves. We do a really good job of sinning. Of being unclean. The human heart is the source of the problem. All sins flow out of a wicked heart. Now, this is more than just a doctrine. This is a doctrine. It's an important doctrine. But it's more than just a doctrine. You must acknowledge this about yourself. Every person here, you must acknowledge this about yourself. Jeremiah 17:9, it says, the heart, and you need to acknowledge this about yourself. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand? understand it if you don't believe this about yourself you'll spend your whole life grasping after these superficial remedies that will not deal with a problem and will leave you in hell if you don't believe this about yourself you if you don't believe you read jeremiah seventeen nine. the heart the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick if you don't know that about yourself Or Matthew Matthew 15, 19, out of your heart flows evil thoughts and sexual morality and slander. If you don't know that about yourself, you're not in a good place. You're on a path to destruction. But if you wholeheartedly accept Jesus' diagnosis, out of the heart flows all this human defilement, you'll be ready to accept his cure. And his cure is beautiful. That Jesus promised all those that come to him, he promises them all a new heart. A brand new heart. And this is the glorious gospel, right? That Jesus offers to people that are with wicked hearts, born into this world, with wretched, wicked, nasty, haters of God hearts. Heartless hypocrites. And he offers that any that would come to Christ... Jesus is the one that dealt with our sin by going to the cross, wounded for our transgression, died in our place, our substitute, taken our punishment, risen from the dead. And he promises that any that would come to him, he gives them a new heart. That old heart of stone, he says he rips it right out and he gives them a heart of flesh. I want to close with this verse, Proverbs 20, verse 9. And I can just imagine somebody reading this for the first time and maybe not having an answer. Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? Who can say that? Who can say, I've made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? In and of yourself, you cannot say that. You cannot make your heart pure. All your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Do the best you can, and it won't be enough. You cannot make your heart pure. You cannot be clean from your sins. If you go to the Pharisees and the scribes, they might try to answer the question, well, just do this little external religious thing, right? Even right things. I just show up at church. Read your Bible every day. But just be this external stuff. And yet, what does he say? What, what, is, what is the answer to this question? Who can say, I have made my heart pure and I am clean from my sins? And it's only those who flee to Jesus Christ for salvation. He's the only one that can give a new heart. He's the only one that died for sinners. He's the only one with the power to save. And if you go to him, you can have a new heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to just linger in these words. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see who you are here and just every aspect of who you are, Lord Jesus. And I, and I pray, God, that you would give us a clear understanding of you, our Savior. We want to know you, Lord. We want to know you, Lord, and and not just facts about you, God, but facts that lead us to worship and praise. We want to know you, Lord. Help us to know you better through your word. And God, where there's places where we ought to imitate you in, in boldness or in love, all these things that we see in your word, God, and in this passage, God, help us to imitate you well. Help us to follow you. And Lord, I pray that you would conform us into the image of Christ. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.